0: The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Please be seated. I'd like to cast an image for just a moment. The liturgy of the Episcopal Church, what we call our service, our worship, sometimes distills something into such a pure form it would be a shame to miss it. So some of you know that Holy Week is that week right before Easter. Uh, This year, I think it begins on April 6th and runs through April 12th. And each day has a particular kind of look leading up to that great and glorious day of Easter. And on the night before Easter, we've observed Holy Saturday. We've had the quiet of the tomb. And actually, the first service of Easter is the Easter vigil, which happens in the early evening of the night before Easter. And the church is dark, and the people are outside, and a flame is kindled. And then the celebrant blesses that flame, the paschal candle is lit, and then we begin as a people to process into the darkened church. It's as though the light of Christ is illuminating the tomb itself. And leading the procession is a deacon who, at different points in the church, chants at the doorway at the center of the church and before the altar. And the chant is, The light of Christ. And all the people reply, Thanks be to God. And we hear that echoing through the walls of our church until finally the story of salvation begins and the baptism and we have the full Eucharist. And I start with that because that's the image, I think, that Isaiah and Matthew are trying to kindle, the sense that there is a darkness, a death, a blindness, and into that, the Christ walks, illuminating what before had been invisible. And in the season of epiphany which we're in now, what I want you to pay attention to is every Sunday, the gospel lesson shines a light on who Christ is. Not merely Jesus, but Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. And every gospel lesson is a revealing of who this Christ is. So, what is Matthew's gospel lesson trying to show us? What is the revelation, the showing forth of Jesus that Matthew's trying to do? Well, if you pay attention, it starts with the fact that John the Baptist has just been arrested. And what you need to know about John is people thought this was the Messiah. No matter how hard he tried to turn it away, to deflect attention elsewhere, people believe that John was the Messiah. So when he's arrested by Herod and eventually beheaded, you can imagine the grief not only among his close followers, but those who had gone out into the wilderness to be baptized. So John is arrested, and it's fascinating that at that moment, Jesus takes his cue to begin his public ministry. I suggest to you that Jesus' actions are never accidental. They are always intentional to reveal something about who God is and who he is in God. If you look throughout the New Testament, decision after decision, it carries a symbolic meaning. And so here we have Jesus moving from Nazareth, which was a little town, a little Jewish town, not well known um, within the world stage. And Jesus moves from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now, according to the Jewish religious leaders, Capernaum, uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, as we heard, is considered a land of darkness. Why? Because there is Gentile influence there. There's a mixing of pagan practices and Jewish practices. And so in a sense, it's an impure area. It would be kind of like the northeast of the United States. Not saying they're impure, but I'm showing you on a map. Sorry, New York. On a map, it would be kind of like the northeast of the United States. And that area is considered unclean. But here's what Jesus knew about Capernaum. It is fertile. It is populous. And any message that is proclaimed in that area will go to all the regions of the world. Jesus is a marketer of sorts in the best sense of the word. And so he goes to Capernaum and he shares the good news there. And it begins to go to the four ends of the earth because of the location. That was on purpose. Furthermore, the first words out of his mouth after his baptism, his temptation in the wilderness is, Repent. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Sound familiar? The prophets. But more importantly, John the Baptist. What Jesus said is, I am not only continuing the tradition of John, I am the fulfillment of his message. Pay attention. So his location, his timing, and his message are all pointing to the fact that he is the light that has come into the world. So now that he has our attention, now the question is, what does he do? Well, he calls disciples to himself. And this story always cracks me up. It makes it sound like he's wandering along. There's these poor strangers. He says, follow me. They drop everything and follow him. That is not how life works. Jesus has been in Capernaum. He's been cultivating relationships. He's been making friends. And symbolically, he wants the world to know the people who follow me are not going to be the religious elite. They are not going to be the political leaders. They are not going to be the muckety-mucks. They are going to be the people from the earth. The fishermen, the tax collectors who are despised, the women of ill repute. These are the ones that Jesus calls to himself. No accident. Entirely consistent with his message to the world. And so, with that ground tilled, he then says to these four, follow me. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John get up and follow him. And what do they do? Immediately, the mission statement is clear. Proclaim the good news and heal the sick. So, in this little message from Matthew, you, in a sense, have a mission statement, a strategic vision. You know where you're going. And everything, every choice that has been made is consistent with that intention. So we at St. Michael would be wise to ask ourselves, what is our mission? Where are we going? What are we doing? Who are we following? What is our purpose? Critical questions, not only for St. Michael, but every organization to find one's identity so that you can be effective in the world. And St. Michael has done this from time to time. It is customary every 10 years, 15 years, to do a careful look at what are we called to do and be in light of Christ. And that process is beginning subtly now, not in a formal way so much, but executive staff are asking that question. And, And a group that's thinking about the future of our physical plant and our buildings and our land are asking that question and the rector is continually putting before us. What are we focused on? And so I want to share with you a few things I have gleaned in my six months here. Some of them are explicit. Some of them are implicit. You see if these sound right to you and then also be thinking, what do I do at St. Michael? What's my level of engagement? Where am I reflecting these things or might I add something else? St. Michael loves children. St. Michael Episcopal School, the cherubs, the choristers, godly play. So much of what we do is so that children have a safe place to grow up and learn the faith. It's critical to our identity. Love of learning. Our story on Sunday morning, Bible studies throughout the week, special speakers. You are a people who are curious, who ask questions, who wonder that Activity of the mind is critical to you. Never let that go. Love of beauty, elegant worship, world-class music, stained windows that take your breath away. Everything around you speaks to the beauty of heaven. That's not accidental. That's on purpose. And it may be in the coming months and years, you will have an opportunity to even go further into the realm of beauty at St. Michael. And love of service. Love of service. You, without a lot of hoopla, you go out into the world and you do things that make people's lives better. Yes, we have volunteer guilds, international missions, local outreach. But one of the things I notice is that you just pay attention to each other. Oh, did you hear she had surgery? We're going to pray for her. The little things you do for one another to let everyone know that they're part of a fabric. They're part of a network, that we're not alone in this world. That is your genius as St. Michael. An example I think of, is you may not know, but we have funerals um, regularly. And the way we do that with people is beautiful. There are guilds that are tasked with flowers, with cookie receptions, with altar Little touches that that one who is grieving, whose life is broken open, they can kind of be received into the arms of St. Michael and know that this sending off is going to be filled with beauty. And to those of you who are part of that funeral process, thank you. And Bob Scott, especially. Jesus was clear about his mission. Every action he took supported it. The Episcopal Church is clear about its mission. You may not know it, but in our Catechism of the Book of Common Prayer, this is what our mission is. To restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. That's our global mission, and now the question is, how do we live out that local mission at St. Michael? The light of Christ, though, I suggest, stands at the center of whatever we do. The Easter vigil reveals that liturgically, but now as you go from this place I want you to have that image of the candle burning at the center of our darkened church and ask yourself, how does the light of Christ change me? How does it orient me to a world in need? And then go and follow Jesus. Amen.